Last week, the, the vision of life that we saw from the book of Proverbs is a little too simple and a little too mechanical for some people. Uh, if you are a person who loves uh, to, to provide the contrarian point of view, right, or you, maybe you call it being brutally honest, right, if you're that person, uh, and, and maybe some of my idealism and optimism grates on you sometimes, then you're going to love the book of Ecclesiastes, because the book of Ecclesiastes is written by somebody who, is, who has embraced the fact that the world is a broken, broken place. And, and to, to, help you, to help you kind of envision the kind of person that is going to be speaking, I want to tell you about a movie that came out in 2003 called Secondhand Lions. Secondhand Lions uh, featured a young Haley Joel Osment and uh, Robert Duvall and Michael Caine as the, uh, as the uncles, the great uncles, Hub and Garth. And I'll, I'll be honest, I've never seen Secondhand Lions, but I've, I feel like I have because I've watched a lot of YouTube clips of, of Secondhand Lions for some reason. Uh, it looks like a really cute, it's called a family movie, it's PG. Uh, but but the, the feeling I get of it, because here, here's the plot, is that... Uh, 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 Walter, who's the kid, his mom, she's kind of, you know, living irresponsibly. And she has always known that Hub and Garth, these two old men, are supposed to have this immense wealth that they've accumulated in their lifetime. But they don't have any kids, and they've never told anybody about where the wealth is. And they live in kind of a shack out in the middle of nowhere. And, um, and they're real grizzled, rough Men. One of the scenes that I've watched on YouTube is where this, this, this young teenage guy, kind of like the prophet Elisha, uh, he comes and insults Robert Duvall uh, at the general store where they're eating lunch, and Robert Duvall just whips his tail, and it's, it's great. It's such a great, uh, great, great clip. But anyway, um, especially with the little speech that he gives him. You need to go watch that. A uh, little speech he gives the, the teenager before he, he whips his tail. But anyway, um, he goes and he... Uh, uh, they, the, the mom drops him off and says, I want you to find out where they're hiding this money. And maybe, maybe you'll win their affection and, uh, and they'll tell you, they'll kind of adopt you as their son and you can receive all this wealth. And he spends the summer with him and, uh, and it's kind of like you hope maybe he doesn't remember everything they said, right? We, we all have family members, right? Like that. That whenever you go, you know, whatever, you got to kind of prep your kids when you go around them. You're like, not everything that Uncle So-and-so says, we don't repeat, you know. Uh, but but it, they've got some good wisdom, right? They're not totally untrustworthy. That's Hub and Garth in the movie Second Hand Lines. And that's also the speaker, or the preacher in the book of Ecclesiastes. Be careful, <laughs> Be careful thinking too deeply about some of the things that he says. But there's wisdom here, and you need to learn it. And so that's, the, that's really the manner in which we want to approach the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a critical part of the wisdom story. You remember we, we, we put these three books together. Proverbs, giving this understanding of wisdom as a, if you will follow the path of wisdom, then it will lead you in places that you really want to go. But we said, if that view is too mechanical for you, then the book of Ecclesiastes says, but wait, the world's broken, and sometimes the wicked prosper, and sometimes the righteous die early. So something's wrong. It's like the book of Ecclesiastes has discovered, the writer of Ecclesiastes has discovered this kind of glitch 
in the system of life. And he kind of brings that to the front. But what we're going to see, I'll go ahead and give you the end. What we're going to see is, is that the writer of Ecclesiastes says, even though the world's broken, wisdom is still worth pursuing because sometimes things happen in this life and the righteous do suffer, but it's the wisdom that carries them through to where they really need to be, which we see in the book of Job, which is the third part of the trilogy. When Job asked all these questions, why am I suffering? I've been a wise man. I've been a blameless man. Why, 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 why? And for 38 chapters, he asks why, and God never answers a single question. But in the, in the 38th chapter, God shows up and just reveals himself to Job and says, this is who I am. And Job's heart is put at peace. Which shows us that we, when we looked at that, the second Sunday in January, that we were not ultimately meant to have all of our questions answered by the Bible or by God, but we're meant to abide in His presence, like Jesus says in John 15. That's where we really long to be. And we can go without answers to some questions. And we can deal with the brokenness of this world if we can live in the presence of God. That's where we were created to be. God designed us to live there. And wisdom, from a New Testament perspective, because Christ is our wisdom, wisdom will take us back into the presence of God where we truly long to be. And so just like we said with Proverbs, uh, be careful with Ecclesiastes. You, you need to listen to the whole message. And so if you, if you zone out at a certain point, it'll be on the internet, you need to go back and listen to it. Because like I said, it can take you to, to a dark place. Because wisdom, like that, like that uncle, says some strange things. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 19. I'm going to give you some of these verses that that help you see that context matters. The purpose of this book matters. And the way we're looking at it today is really the best way to look at it. Verse 19 of chapter 3 says, For what happens to the children of man is what ha and what happens to beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast, for it is all vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust, and all to dust return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down to the earth? You take that, you let that verse be your daily, daily bread reading for the day, and I don't, I don't know what, what, what heartfelt story is going to bring you back. I mean, that's like, wait, are you, is he saying there's not a heaven? Is he saying that like, like, like animals don't have souls? We don't have souls? What? 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 Right? That's, that's why we need the whole book. Or go to chapter 7, verse 16. A couple pages over, chapter 7, verse 16. The writer says this, very interestingly, Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. M make, be not overly wicked either, though. Neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? Be not overly righteous. You're telling me that I could be watching TV this morning, right? I'm just kind of hanging out in my PJs. It's a rainy day. Got dressed up, come to church. What? Be careful. One more, chapter 10, verse 19. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 19. I've told you all along to underline verses in your Bible. Don't underline these, okay? <laughs> I mean, you want to remember them, but you, like I said, the context is crucial. All right? 
Chapter 10, verse 19. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens the life, and money answers everything. Wow. Not going to hear that one preached on in the Baptist church very often, are you? Money answers everything. Okay. Okay. What are you doing here? Okay, so, so we need to get, our, get, some, get some framework laid for the book of Ecclesiastes so that we can understand it. So turn back to Ecclesiastes chapter 1, and let's ask a very critical question that because we call these the wisdom books of Solomon, we automatically just assume. Be very careful when you assume things about the Bible, because as we saw last week, it could make you interpret Proverbs as promises, when that was never God's design in the first place. And so the first question that we want to ask, a very important question, is who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes? Who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes? So what, what is conventional wisdom? What, is, what were you taught in Sunday school? Don't be afraid to say it. Yeah, Solomon, right? Solomon. We say that Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. Well, maybe. Maybe, but not technically. Okay, let me show you what I'm talking about. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1. It begins in a very peculiar way. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. And then, if your Bible has kept the, uh, some of the pagination that's there, you'll see in mine it's kind of a block, what we call a block quote. And it begins to quote somebody's words. And so in the very, very first verse you have, it's almost like somebody's introducing the preacher. And he's saying, these are the words that are said. Now, there is a very convincing case that the preacher is Solomon. Look in verse 12. The preacher is speaking, and he says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. And I applied my heart to seek and search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. Now, we remember from 1 Kings that Solomon asked for wisdom, right? Solomon asked for wisdom and was the wisest man in uh, ancient times. Still considered to this day to be one of the wisest men of all time. Look at verse 16. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. Sounds like Solomon. And my heart has great experience of wisdom and knowledge. Sounds like Solomon, right? But then flip over, kind of hold your place there, and flip over to the end of the book. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Some of you are thinking... Ryan seems to be doubting the historicity of the Bible. No, I'm not. I'm just saying that maybe some of the answers that we got in Sunday school are a little bit more complex, right? Uh, and so Ecclesiastes chapter 12, look at verse 9. The preacher has spoken. Solomon has spoken. And he ends the same way he began, vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity, which we'll deal with in a second. But then in verse 9, he says, besides being wise, the preacher also taught people knowledge. Wait, okay, so all of a sudden, we've got this editorial comment by which we end the book. And it seems like this person that's speaking now is not the same person called the preacher. And so it's almost like you have these two voices speaking in the book of Ecclesiastes. You have the preacher and maybe somebody will call a narrator. So imagine it like this. Imagine a stage play. Like we went to see a, uh, uh, a Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens at the Shakespeare Festival at Christmas, right? And you had this man who had the ability to speak as a character in the play, but he also had the ability to come over here on the side and the spotlight kind of followed him and he would give narration over what was happening, 
right? And that seems very much like what you have here with this, these two voices of the preacher being Solomon and then the narrator or the editor being somebody else. And honestly, we don't know who this is, but it's obvious. I mean, you think about it. Think about secondhand lines, right? Think about young Walter and he's narrating this story. Or think about if you're sitting with your granddad, right? And you wouldn't want to quote everything your granddad said verbatim, but you feel like there's wisdom enough there to pass it on to the next generation. Or let's go, let's go to even another place. Let's say that I'm going to sit with one of our, one of our church members who's in their nineties. And what happens to people when they get a little older, they lose their filter, right? We've once again, we've all had that, that family member, right? Um, and, and some of you have lost a little earlier than I'd like, but that's okay. Okay, I still love you. But no, you do. You lose your filter. You say whatever comes to your mind, right? Y'all don't act like y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. I do. <laughs> see, <laughs> from the mouths of children. Yeah, uh, see, we do. We do. We lose our filter. And you wouldn't want to quote everything. Like if I'm, if I'm sitting with them and I'm hearing about their life story and I'm hearing about this and that and this and that and this and that and then they die and I stand up at their funeral, what am I saying? I'm not saying anything that casts a shadow on their character, am I? I'm just recognizing that they can live long enough to say what they want, <laughs> right? And then if we're honest with ourselves, it's kind of why we loved them, you know, because they're like, oh, I can't believe they just said that. I've been thinking it for a long time, but I, I mean, you know, they actually said it. And they can say it. They've kind of earned the right to say it. We, that's how we treat our elders, so to speak, right? And I think that's what's going on here. I see that dynamic happening where it's like almost like Solomon's really godly grandson goes in to sit with his dad and he, or his, his granddad, and, he, and his granddad's just spouting off all of this old, grizzled wisdom, not really caring about how you feel about it, not really, not really worrying about whether or not you like what he's saying or not. He's just saying it because it's what he's experienced. But we think, why, how did Solomon end up this way if it really is him? And it is somebody who's kind of putting forward his wisdom as a narration. How did Solomon get this way? Well, let's think about Solomon's life, Right? We, we read about it. Solomon asked for wisdom, but then what happened? Solomon didn't live by the wisdom that he espoused, did he? I mean, let's, we don't have to do an extensive refresher course about how foolish Solomon lived, do we? Solomon was not a man who, uh, like, well, like we said, he ended up looking a lot more like Pharaoh than he did David. And so what, what did we say last week? When you're presented with wisdom, but you choose to ignore it, it makes you foolish. Or to put it a little bit more modern, sin makes you stupid. Right? That's what it does. Sin blinds you to areas that you really don't need to be blinded to. And so Solomon still had wisdom. And Solomon had lived his life knowing things. But he had turned his face away. We never, it's not really ever said that Solomon repented. But he turned his face away from these things. And as this grizzled old man who's seen truths about life, now this wisdom is coming from a slightly skewed perspective. It's still true. But it takes a lot of explaining contextually for us to understand it and draw benefit from it. And it was important enough that the divinely inspired grandson or prophet or scribe or whoever's sitting with Solomon who's hearing him say this, he said, people need to know about this. This perspective on life will help 
certain people. And so we want people to know what Grandpa Solomon said, even though it might upset you. And I'll tell you, it might upset you. But there's some really good thought processes for us to have as we go throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, and they all start with, they all start with Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2, the first words of the preacher, which say this, Vanity of vanity, vanities, everything is vanity. Vanity of vanities, everything is vanity. Now, I had several illustration options for you, but uh, anybody else's Bible have a word besides vanity? Meaningless? Can, can also be translated absurdity or futility, right? Some of your translations might have that. All kind of poor translations, to be honest. The actual literal translation of uh, this word hebel is the word for That's hevel. Vapor or fog or smoke. And I've got it back here because it kind of it smells a little funky. So I didn't, I didn't want it to... I almost, I almost made Steve Fornoy pass out earlier. Uh, and so that... But, but, but you get the picture, right? Is this idea of smoke or vapor. Now, how silly would I look up here trying to... Like... Like, grab on, grab onto that stuff. I mean, it might look, sorry, Miss Debbie. Uh, it might look to a certain extent like it's, it's there, I can grab onto it. It might look like it's something that I could really kind of pull towards me, right? But in the end, it's just nothing, right? That's the word hevel, which is translated in my Bible, vanity, in some Bibles, meaningless or futility or absurdity, or any number of other translations, but it literally is translated vapor, or smoke, or fog. But here's what it means. It has the connotations of mystery, or paradox, or enigma. And so think about it that way. When you see that word vanity, which is used 38 times in this book, so you, I mean, it's just very repetitive, right? It's just mystery, mystery. Everything's a mystery. Kind of gets a little bit more at the heart of it. And so the preacher says, mystery of mysteries. All is a mystery. And so what does he mean? And he's going to lead us on about five different thought experiments throughout the rest of the book. He, these trains of thought that he's inviting us the, the narrator is inviting us to join him in so that we can gain this wisdom that can come from this grizzled old man. And like I said, I want to warn you that if you take just one of these out of context and you go and you just think about it, it ideas have consequences. And this this could lead you to a dark place. I, I really do. I want you to engage with me over the next few minutes and I want us to understand uh, these different thought experiments that, that Solomon is trying to help us see. So the first one, chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Look at what it says. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. 
It is a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It has is, it is, uh, been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of the former things, nor will there be any remembrance of the later things yet to be among those who come after them. And then look over in chapter 2, verse 16. Chapter 2, verse 16. For of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. And so the first place where we find hevel or mystery or paradox is in life and time. In life and time. Gracie asked me what, we were, what I was going to preach on today, and I said right under the verse reference, this is what I said to her. Now, you want to talk about the most unpolitically correct thing to say in our day and age of self-esteem and and, 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 you know, let's, let's encouragement. And, and it's even hard for me. Like some of you are like, yes, I've been wanting to hear that said in church for a long time, right? But, f- but for me, this is hard. It's a hard thought, thought process to travel on. But this is what Solomon's actually saying. Think about the greatest accomplishment in your life to date. Better yet, top three. Take a moment and think, think about them. You know what? Grizzled old Solomon's telling us. He's saying in a hundred years, nobody's going to remember what you did. Your kids are going to remember you. Your grandkids are going to talk about you. But a century from now, nobody's going to remember that that Ryan was pastor of First Baptist Church. I mean... This building might not be here. Our nation might not be the United States of America. All that we've built, all that we built could be gone like that. It's a mystery. And why is it a mystery? Because we think we've come so far. And Solomon would say, just go walk in the woods for a while. I mean, Steve is constantly sending me pictures of these arrowheads that he finds digging in the dirt, right, over on his land. I mean, as many as he finds, I'm thinking, man, there must have been Native Americans all over the place. And I try to imagine what it looked like when they were there. And I think, man, these woods have seen a lot, right? And guess what? They're still going to be there in some form or fashion long after I'm gone. And so what is your life, really? It's a blip. It's a, it's a mist, like James 4 says. You're here today, gone tomorrow. And so you think about those accomplishments, those collectibles, right? Guess where they're going to be 100 years from now? A landfill, probably. Man, that hurts, doesn't it? You think about all the things you've accumulated in your lifetime, all the things that, that, you, that you keep maybe in a glass case or hung on the wall, right? Gone. 
Mark Twain and, and, and Grizzled Solomon would have gotten along really well because this is a quote from Mark Twain. Mark Twain said, the world laments you for an hour and it forgets you forever. <laughs> the world, and so, so your funeral, the world's going to cry. The, 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 your, your personal, your family, your extended family, they're going to cry. And then they're going to move on with their lives. That hurts. That hurts bad. And Solomon says, it's the point. It's a mystery here that you need to grapple with. So there's the, the hevel of life and time, but then there's the hevel of pleasure and leisure. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Solomon, who was one of the richest men in the world, had whatever he wanted. He says, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. Sounds like his dad, right? <laughs> I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was the reward for my toil. And then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity, or hevel, or mystery, and striving after the wind. It was like trying to catch that smoke a few minutes ago. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. <laughs> you see, as much as you love parties... And as much as us sanguine-oriented uh, personalities love to be in big groups of people, there's always work to be done. Monday is always coming. Even like some of you this afternoon, like you're going to start posting on Facebook about Mondays and coffee and all these, because that's life, isn't it? I mean, they even wrote a song about it. Everybody's working for the weekend, right? I mean, that, like, that, that's what happens. You may hate your job, and yet it provides for you, and so you work, and you get by, and you go to work, and you get by, and you're like, Friday, 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 I'm done, I'm done, I'm done, and then it's like, oh, man, Monday's tomorrow, <laughs> and I've got all of this to do, and you're just starting to make your list, right, your mental to-do list about all those things you're going to have to do when you get back, and so Solomon says... Have you really gotten any rest in your leisure? Or think about, this is, this is my favorite, think about a few hours after you open gifts on Christmas morning. That's what he's talking about, right? When the first toy breaks, right? Right, y'all remember, remember those days? The toy breaks and it's just like, everything's broke loose, right? Kids screaming on the floor, or they, maybe they didn't get what they wanted, right? There's, no, there's nothing to be gained in pleasure. You, you want a really poignant uh, quote? It could have been, uh, been said by a Dean Martin. It could have been said by anybody of any age. But the, uh, the popular modern theologian, Drake, he actually said this. Some of you know who that is. <laughs> You're laughing. I can tell. I'm... I'm I'm going to ask y'all how you know who it is. Like, Miss Debbie, you're going to get that question later on. All right. This is what Drake said. Listen, listen to how he, he hits the nail on the head with what we're talking about here. He says, there was a point where I felt like I needed to keep, keep the company of a different woman every night. I was trying to fill a void. But in those moments after, I'd know it wasn't working. Those quiet moments are the realest moments a man will ever have in his life. The next day, I'd convince myself to do it all over again. But during that time, I knew it wasn't working. 
Y'all, that, that could have been a direct quote from Ecclesiastes because that was Solomon's life, wasn't it? Wives, concubines, all of these people to choose from. Pleasure from one moment to the next to the next as long as he could imagine. But it wasn't working. It wasn't working. Time's going to march on. Those relationships are going to leave you empty. But then maybe some of you can identify with this, the hevel of work and wealth. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 22. Chapter 2, verse 22. What is a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This is also vanity. Right? He's saying, you go to work because Mondays always come, right? And your work does what? Stresses you out. Probably takes some years off your life. You get home, and what are you still thinking about? Work. And what does it do when you try to put your head on the pillow? It keeps you awake. I mean, this is life, right? I mean, this is, this is as real of life as you're going to get is in, in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's just no holds barred truth. And he says, you really want to really spend your life devoted to and trying to find and grasp at fulfillment in this hevel known as work? Look, look back up at verse 18. He says, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to a man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be the master of all which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. You know what I want you to do right now? I want you to close your eyes and I want you to picture your house like you're standing out in front of your house. You got it? I have my eyes closed. I can't hear you. You got it? Okay, good. Now I want you to do this. Picture a for sale sign out in front of it. You see it? For sale. Guess what? If your house makes it through a tornado or whatever, and you're gone, that's going to be your house. It's going to have a for sale sign on it. You can look back up at me. It's going to have a for sale sign on it. Now, I love my neighbors, but I know it was hard for them that they built that house that I live in right now, and then they had to move next door to me. And that Mr. Barton, in all of those years, that he had that grass looking immaculate, and now look at it. Oh, my. He was quoting Ecclesiastes, right? I worked, and, and listen, this is life. I worked so hard, day after day after day after day, and all I'm going to do with all that I worked for is pass it on to somebody who probably won't even appreciate it. Right? That's universal. In fact, this past Wednesday, or some of the Wednesday nights, we've been studying Hobby Lobby, the, the Hobby Lobby decision. We've been looking at Hobby Lobby as a business. And do you know that, th that they recognized, they said, we've got something incredibly successful here. And there's a lot of money to be had. But that could destroy our kids' and our grandkids' lives. And so they put a hedge. to They, they literally took their business and gave it away, put it in a trust so that they couldn't even touch it. 
and that whatever their kids are going to get, they'd have to work for. Because they didn't want their kids being a trust fund, trust fund princess or prince and walking around like they were entitled to everything just because their mom or dad was the owner of Hobby Lobby. But that's what you're going to do. You're working right now. And you are accumulating dollars in your life that they're not going to go with you. Like, like my, my pastor Al Jackson said, he said, he said, suits that they bury you in don't have pockets. <laughs> no need for them. You can't take it with you. And then he says also, look at, look at chapter 5, verse, uh, verse 10. Chapter 5, verse 10. says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has the owner but to see them with his eyes? The tragic story of MC Hammer. <laughs> Can't touch this, brought him a lot of money. And then he had family members knocking at the door. And before you know it, Hammer was bankrupt. Because he gave all of it away. People came knocking when they saw that he had money. Because that's what people do. And so, he says, don't be satisfied with just money. Or with just work. Because the most satisfied people are not the ones who have money. And they have the most money. But they're the ones who have just enough. It's, it's statistically proven. The most satisfied people, the people who sleep the best at night, are the ones who have a job and just a little bit of savings. And so we're building, 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 building. We've got all the retirement accounts and we've got stocks and investments and properties and all these kinds of things. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but if that's the reason you're living, it's not going to fill the gap. Just like pleasure won't, just like uh, this idea of life won't. And we heard it this week, but Paul Ryan, he said he was uh, leaving office after this term. Why? We've heard it before. We've heard, oh, I need to go spend time with my family. But this was the reasoning he gave. He said, my dad died when I was 16. My daughter's 16 right now. And we live the life because I'm constantly in Washington all week long. He says, we live the life of divorced parents. He said, I'm a weekend dad. And he said, I can't do that to my kids. Now, I hope that's legitimate because that's a wise decision in the face of 20 years in the federal government. It's a wise decision because your kids matter more than your work, matter more than your money. Two more. The hevel of life and control. Look at verse 7. This is where we deal, I mean, chapter 7, verse 16. This is where we deal with that, that one that we looked at a second ago. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourselves too wise. Here's what he's saying, just the, the quick version of it. He's saying that some people, this is his direct answer to, to the book of Proverbs last week. Some people use thrill-seeking to kind of have the next rush or high in life. And he says, don't do that. You're going to die early, and that's just not worth it, right? It's not worth leaving your family behind just because you got to skydive or base jump off of Everest or something like that. It's just not worth it. But, but also, don't think on the other side that you can use religion to manipulate God into giving you a long life. Remember that's what we looked at last week? 
Sometimes the wicked live long lives and sometimes the righteous die early. Don't you dare think that you can use the wisdom of Proverbs or Christianity or the Bible to somehow like barter with God to say, you should keep me around longer because I'm really valuable. He said, basically, God sees right through that and don't, don't be overly, overly religious like that. And then he says a few more things in, in, uh, in chapter 8. He says, there's, there's vanity that takes place on the earth. There are righteous people and to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this is also vanity. In chapter 9, verse 11, he says, Again, I saw that under, under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those, who, those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. Here's what he's saying. Life is broken. It's messed up. And bad things happen to good people all the time. Because we all live in a fallen creation. We all live in a broken world. And you're going to look around you and life is not going to make sense, friends. Stop thinking that it should. Because you're going to wake up next Sunday morning and the news headlines are going to be something bad like we did last Sunday morning where there was this chemical uh, weapons attack in Syria. And it could be that brokenness on a national global scale where a leader has used chemical weapons to kill his own people. Or it could just be something trivial that you hate, like the fact that you left your window rolled down last night when it rained. My rear end is just dry from, from, from me after wiping the seat off. I mean, like, I've, I've got a clump of paper towels in my foreboard. And that's not a big deal, right? Who cares? I mean, like, ultimately, like, who cares? But it sure was an inconvenience. Well, Ryan, did you really think you were going to go through this life and even today without a few inconveniences? I mean, really? Did you really have that thought process? Because that's a flawed, it's hevel. It's a, it's a, it's a flawed thought process, or, or like this guy, poor guy, Tanner's friend, Matt Ellis, running the race yesterday, the Spartan race, and they're in between mile four and five. They're, they're towards the finish line, and they've, he's done all these obstacles, and, and you've trained for months and months and months, and you're running, 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 and all of a sudden, you just step in a hole and dislocate your kneecap and can't finish the race, right? Or, or Lena, even having food fall out of her refrigerator and break her toe. She can't run the race, right? A couple weeks ago. You think, why does junk like that happen? Because it does. You live in a broken world. And crazy stuff like that happens all the time. And sometimes there are people to be held accountable for it. And sometimes there's not. But let me tell you, let me tell you where you don't go. And that is to think that God has ill will towards you. And somehow, some way that he's to blame and he's evil. There are no guarantees in this life. Oh, actually there is one. And that's the last place he wants to take us. Go back to chapter 3, verse 19. If you want to turn there, I'll read it to you. It says, For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. Death is the great equalizer. And that's what we all face. And the question that 
grizzled old Solomon, or really probably better said, the narrator who's put this wisdom out there, because this is how he ends the book in chapter 12. The thing that he wants to ask to us is, are you ready? Are you living your life with wisdom, not trying to hold on to these things that you can't hold on to, not trying to grasp at things that ultimately will not satisfy your life, Are you living with wisdom in the presence of God and living humbly and just embracing these realities instead of trying to act like you're the center of the universe and that everything should happen good to you and bad to those people over there? It doesn't work that way. It's like Andy Bernard of Office fame says, I wish that there was a way to know when you're in the good old days before you've actually left them. The writer of Ecclesiastes, the narrator says, don't live your life wishing away the moment that you're in. Because guess who gave you this moment? God did. Guess who's keeping your heart beating right now for a purpose? God is. Guess who, guess who brought you here today? God has. Guess why he's brought you here today? So that you can put into practice the last words of Ecclesiastes in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 to fear God. To fear God and to recognize that he is going to bring every one of your deeds into judgment. So don't live by wishing away today and hoping for tomorrow. Each day embrace the good things that God has given you because tomorrow they might not be there. Enjoy good food because tomorrow you might have something happen and you have to eat through a tube the rest of your life. Enjoy your work tomorrow because on the way home, you might have a car accident and lose the ability to move. Enjoy the people that you're going to eat lunch with today because as we know, all too familiar, they might not be there tomorrow. And it sounds so cliche, doesn't it? Because we, we just throw these things out there. But this is the purpose of Ecclesiastes is to make us come to grips with the truth. Not, the, not that this, this, is a, this way of living, this pessimistic viewpoint is something to embrace because even the, the narrator says, don't think too deeply about that because it's going to take you to a bad place. But recognize the purpose is to say, you are not the center of this world. You're not going to be here forever. You're going to die. And ultimately, the things that you, that you, if you're trying to live with any of these things like pleasure or wealth or work or, uh, or accomplishments and achievements, everybody's going to forget about those. You're going to give your wealth to somebody else and you're going to die one day. So are you ready to die? And some of you, you need to respond to this. It may be some kind of attitudinal change. It may be, it may be, it may be a real change. Maybe you're working too much and you've got a Messiah complex, even in this church. You've got to be everywhere at all times and, and people are going to need me and I'm not going to be there. Maybe that's technology rules over your life because you think that if people can't get in touch with you, that the world is going to come to an end. Or maybe it's money. Maybe that's your deal and you need to come to, come to grips with the fact that you'll never have enough money. And you're going to keep buying stuff and buying stuff and buying stuff and your years are going to be spent repairing stuff and paying for stuff to get repaired and giving it away to somebody else when you don't use it anymore. Right? Is that not life? Go to Dothan by Sell Trade. You can see exactly that going on. It, this is life. And life is much more than stuff. 
Life is about the people that God's put around you. You know the only thing, this is just freebie, the only thing that is never spoken negatively of in, uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes, you know what it is? Friendship. Relationships. Two are better than one. Threefold cord can't be broken. And so what are you cherishing? What are you treasuring in your life? The book of Ecclesiastes wants to call you to task on those things. And if you're not living in the fear of God according to wisdom, according to purpose, if you've got too high of a perspective of yourself, you need to let the, the thought processes that we've had this morning humble you and make you see what really matters in this life. Maybe this is a message that, that somebody else needs in your life. And some of these things might just be too hard to say. Maybe this, this sounds so trivial, but maybe you just need to go, and when this sermon's posted to the website, maybe you need to go share it with somebody and just say, hey, we, we, we took a look at the entire book of Ecclesiastes. I was really convicted by some of the stuff that was said. Well, take a listen to this, and then you pray for the person that's going to listen to it. Maybe it's something as simple as that. Maybe this message is not for you, but it's for you to pass on to somebody else that there's more to live for than stuff. One way or another, as we come to the part of our message where we have this thing called an invitation, it is truly an invitation for you to respond to whatever God has prompted you to respond to. And the beautiful thing is, is that the Bible says, just like we talked about last week, that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. And so if you need wisdom in an area of your life where you don't feel like you are, you are truly treasuring what needs to be treasured, then ask God at this time for wisdom to govern that moment. Maybe it's work, maybe it's money, maybe it's family, maybe it's something uh, along the lines of a relationship in your life. Right now, use this as an opportunity to ask the Lord for that wisdom because he gives generously to all without finding fault. He delights in our request for wisdom just like he delighted in Solomon's request for wisdom. And so that's what this time of invitation is all about. Let's pray together.